Gridiron Show, show two of the week. And today we're going to look back at the international series decision actually a little bit more because Alistair Kirkwood, the managing director of NFL UK, is going to join us. We're also going to be talking about Monday Night Football, the Jeff Fisher firing, and looking a bit back at the last Slater games. Maybe a little look forward to Thursday Night Football as well. This is the Gridiron Show. So hello, welcome to the Gridiron Show. Will Gavin, Ollie Hunter, sat in the front room recording a new show. Yeah, man. You've got a headset now, so you can actually hear what's going on. So when I do things like this, um, you know that I've done them. I know that you've done it, yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's all the evolution. It's all yeah. uh, the improvement and gradual uh, Billy Big Bollocksing of my entire house. So I'm just going to turn it into one big radio show. Yeah, you know? indeed. Uh, <laughs> uh, you're listening to the Gridiron Show. Um, we obviously put out a show yesterday uh, for the international series announcement for the four games. If you've not heard that one yet, it's worth going back and having a listen to uh, included our chat with Neil Reynolds, which uh, we talked about the five months thing. We talked about the lack of dates and times. And um, yeah, me and Ollie kind of gave our reaction to the games. Uh, further reaction kind of from Twitter, etc., has been a, a kind of combination of positives and negatives taken from it, from what I've seen. And, and most people actually have been pretty positive on it. You've just got some big naysayers who don't like it being the Browns, who don't like it being, you know, my team's not here, so I'm not happy about it, seems to be the thing. And and I kind of believe that if you take that exact same slate of games, but for the Browns, you'd given them the Packers on the road, which is a game this year, or the Seahawks on the road if they'd had that game. And the whole slate of games, people will be going, oh my God, that looks like an amazing slate of games because they've got that one big team mm. that they wanted to see. Uh, and, and I just think it's been all been a bit harsh that it's <laughs> been treated with such negativity. i tell you what, if the Cardinals hadn't have been so bad this year, then people would have been thinking about that in the same respect. If it was the Cardinals of last season, which I do think that team is still in there. So do I, yeah. I, I agree with you. So... I, I totally agree with what you said there. Um, I've got it on a, a pretty good source that the the NFL UK, NFL UK, the international series makers, they wanted the Packers to come over. The Browns said no. Now, you flagged up uh, on Twitter, at Will Gav, a really interesting article about how Green Bay won't give up a home game and teams won't give up a, a home game against Green Bay because... That's when they sell out. Shad Khan uh, said that it was the biggest uh, amount of revenue they've ever taken, yeah, which so was the Jacksonville-Green Bay victory the first game of the season that we all thought was going to be the one that was going to come over last year. Or, sorry, the from was going to be announced last year to come over this year. Um, and it wasn't. So, for people, those naysayers, I don't think they and I, I think that we're very inclusive on this show for people that are just coming to the game for people that have been looking at and, and been involved in watching the game for for years upon years actually the, the people that don't understand how this type of things these these things work I think those are the ones that are naysaying about it it's very difficult and we'll hear from Alistair Kirkwood and he'll explain exactly how difficult it is 
to get teams over here to to the UK, what they have to give up, the amount of money that they have to put in, the amount of money that they lose, the 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 hassle, the palaver. It may even be down to the fact that a head coach just doesn't fancy it. Yeah, and um, I, I do think. Uh, sorry, uh, um, <laughs> uh, I, I do think uh, that. You referenced that article, the Packers article in particular. Jason Wilde wrote this one. Mark Murphy, the uh, Packers president, talked about it. And he said that they they want to come over. Um, There's no way they give up a home game because it is the smallest economic market in the NFL. So the amount of money that a home game for a sellout home game brings that area versus anywhere else is, is a huge percentage compared to say the percentage you bring to New York for a Giants game or whatever um, and then as you said Shah Khan said no last year and in fact I think uh, I think the exact quote was in here Shah Khan I called him last year I've gotten to know him he's a really good guy I really like him Shard, you know we'd really like to play you in London and he said Mark there's no way in hell I'm moving your Packers game to London. Is that, that's the Browns owner speaking. No, that, this is Shard Khan. No, 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 but who's who's Mark? Who's he speaking to? Uh, Mark Murphy is the Packers owner. The Packers owner. Yeah. Okay, fine. Uh, Shard Khan being the Jags owner. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we, we played them, I saw them on the field, and, and he said, Mark, we set a revenue record today. Um, so, <laughs> as you said, it, it is... It, it's always going to be difficult to get those teams over, but I do think it will happen. My belief is that... And, and yes, you had uh, in Neil Reynolds and Jeff Reinbold... When we sat down with them the other day, Neil said that he believes we'll have a franchise before all 32 teams make it out here. He said there's some teams who just aren't positive on it, etc. But the Packers seem to be very positive on coming over and playing here. And well, I think it's, it's the, the financial is the big issue. Teams are already NFL UK. It's not well publicised, but they make a big loss from these games mm. and. The uh, the money that obviously filters down from the office, and it's all about the long term growth and the merchandise and everything. But they have to pay a flat fee for the teams to coming out. Then they give the ticket revenue to the teams and a percentage of the merchandise revenue to the teams. And you know, for a team like the Browns, they make more money off a trip to Wembley than they'd ever make off a, a home game uh, against the sort of an opposition like the Vikings. So that sort of thing is huge for them. So what it's going to take is the Packers being on the road at say someone like. I think it would need to be a team like the Chargers jumps out to me because they've already got three home games a year in a really competitive division. Mm. You know, when you talk about Broncos, Raiders, Chiefs, those are all great games. So taking your fourth great game away isn't as big a deal, but they'd have to throw millions of dollars at them to get them to agree to do it. I think that will happen eventually because I think the fan base will almost demand it. Um, Let's let's hear from. Uh, I, I might be or drop in another bit of the Reynolds and uh, thingy interview here. I mean, you do love it. Uh, it was it was really good fun, and we will release it in full at some point. Um, discuss uh, what we're going to hear from from the guys here is discussing the kickoff times and the reaction to the move away from earlier kickoffs, which have proved very popular with fans here, and, and the take on that time slot. And then let then we'll hear from the managing director of NFL UK, Alistair Kirkwood, on the announcement of these games and, and further to the conversation we had with Neil, dates, times, all that other information as well. Okay? The lunchtime kickoffs do do three things and two are really important and one sort of less so for for me for this market. Um the first one is it gets the teams in and out. So the teams can get in uh, and they can get out that night. They can be home. Like you said, they're ready for their next week. Uh, number two, mostly, I've seen younger fans coming into the sport. You know, stand yeah. on the stage at the mm-hmm. tailgates. The young 
biggest and feedback we've had is I won't be able to bring my bring kids my family, at yeah. 6 p.m. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. and families are a big part of those stadiums mm. now, and that's your future. You know, that's going to be the, the future fans. So the third one is it allows you to play a game uh, and air a game uh, in prime time in the Far East. I mean, that doesn't really affect what we do here in the UK, though, but that's another aspect of it. New York are happier with that, though. So. Yeah, they are, yeah, so you keep the, you service the mothership. But I think what, what this conversation, and I know from, I, I, again, I tried, before I went on Sky last week, I tried to get some clarity on that. Those kickoff times aren't set yet. You know, that's, that there was a, a leak from New York that they want to move them all back. But I think there's still a kind of discussion that's being had between NFL UK and NFL New York because they want to, um, they still like those lunchtime kickoffs. They would rather play locally at lunchtime. But I think what's happened, looking at it from the outside, I think that's a reaction to the... Yeah, the narrative of the year in in America has been that TV, TV ratings, ratings are down. Yeah. Do you know what I've do you know what I've loved actually about that whole thing though has been uh, we're talking about the idea of going on Twitter and defending it and mm. uh, yes I I went out there and I I kind of banged the drum that I like the early kickoffs and for the reasons why but what's been funny is seeing people American journalists American writers who understand mm. and actually have them defend why it works and and hit seeing Greg Rosenthal say well hold on you're putting on 12 Thursday night games of incredibly varying quality because teams are on a short week. Yeah. If we're looking at saturation, why aren't we talking about that? Right. Why are we talking about right. three games a year being played at a slightly yeah. earlier hour? There's a, game, yeah. uh, there's, a, there's a game this week, the Dolphins and Jets on a Saturday night. You know, I mean, you could, you could point... Yeah, and if it, you were only looking for, to find three examples or four examples, you could find them easily and you wouldn't have to be looking at London. Yeah, you think you know, people weren't tuning in for Matt Moore versus Bryce Petty? Is quality. <laughs> gone are the days of, again, gone are the days of Dan Marino. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you put you put Raiders Chiefs on a short week yeah. and that's, that's, that's a... That's a division decider. Division decider. That's mm. a huge rival game. And you, and you put on... I, you know, unscientific feedback from the early kickoffs across the ocean was fans liked them mm-hmm. because it was another game they could get to watch football, it? yeah, yeah. It, and it was almost a case of i remember when they first announced them people tried to find any excuse you know you had people trying to turn up church groups to to bang on the mm-hmm. table and say you shouldn't be watching football in the morning you should be going to church you know it was absolutely anything they could mm-hmm. find to say yeah. why it was a bad idea yeah. when it actually happened it worked mm-hmm. and yeah and, and neil neil hit it right on the head from a purely football standpoint you're talking about the organ, the coaches and the yeah. get in, play the game, get on a plane and get home. And so, because here's the reality of the coaching world, right? Those coaches are working that five hours on the way back. Everybody's got their laptop open, players too, and they're grading film already. So that's mm-hmm. five hours of work they're getting. So it's not like they're sitting on a plane and now, no, now we got to go in the office and break the film down afterwards. They're actually using that time. So when you put them back on, what would be a quote normal week schedule in the NFL? I don't see there's any reason why playing over here can be used as an excuse. I, I like the lunchtime kickoffs. Yeah. It that. feels feels to me about too much has been made about TV ratings in the NFL when it, it's kind of a society thing. People don't watch as much TV. Yeah, that absolutely fascinates me because so much negative energy in the media back in North America about. You know, television ratings, yeah. the NFL's television ratings, the NFL's. Let me tell you something. They ain't losing money. Yeah. Right. Mm. And it's, you guys know, because it's, it's, this generation is cable cutters, right? They're not watching football on, on, 
TV. They're watching it on YouTube and all the other yeah. platforms yeah. that they have to watch the game and talk about the game. The game is at its zenith in terms of interest in the game, fan interest in the game. Absolutely. Why do you think the salary cap's going up again? Mm. Right? Yeah, it's not like they're <laughs> cutting corners. Absolutely. Mm. Um, I just wanted to, to touch on the, the international market. So, obviously, you mentioned China. We've, we've had a game in Mexico this year. There's there's talk of other games in China. Brazil's been mm. mentioned. Um, Mark Waller said at the, the Super Bowl last year, he sees that as a completely separate entity to the, the London aspect of the international series. Is, is that sort of your view as well? Yeah, I've just finished writing a, um, an article on the sort of international growth for the Super Bowl program that's going to be out, out in America. And I spoke to Mark about that again. And I think they're two different things. Mm. I think uh, every time we see a, a game given to Mexico or whether it's Germany or Brazil, wherever it may be, we shouldn't view that as, well, that's one less we were getting in the UK. They're, they're, completely, mm. uh, they're completely separate as far as I can see. Um, I think Mexico was a success this year. I think they had some some challenges with... Play. The, phrase, the phrase logistical nightmare was thrown around. <laughs> that's the words that I was thinking of using. And I thought I'd stay politically correct, but you know, since we're sitting so in the you're, uh, you're allowed to do that sitting in the that. NFL boardroom. Um, yeah, playing, we're not here to challenge you, Neil. What are we here to do? Playing a mile and a half uh, above Denver might be uh, might be a challenge for players. Uh, you know, getting in and out of Mexico City, so they they had some issues. Um, but I think, you know, speaking to Mark, when I wrote this article, he was like looking at what's gone on around the NFL. Mm. And uh, you know, he was saying Germany and Canada would be next. That's 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 the the plan. They still like they still like the idea of Brazil, I think. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think they they what London gives them is a kind of a safe receiver on third down that's going to pick up the nice. first down. <laughs> Do you like that, Jeff? Yes, uh, that's good. Possession, it nice. possession receiver. Possession receiver. <laughs> I'm using that right now. I'm London is, is <laughs> Julian Edelman. <laughs> <laughs> and Brazil will be Odell Beckham. <laughs> no, Ted Ginn. Ted Ginn. <laughs> yeah. well, drop it in the air. You might drop it, but it's going to be good if it hits. <laughs> <laughs> and we want to be there. <laughs> Do, do you ever see another country having four games a year and having the, the same level of success that, that London's had? I I think at the moment, I, I still think there's... having said, At the start, we kind of said that Germany was happy with whatever they got. But I think still when the game started and the party ended, the fans in Germany were fantastic. Yeah. It was a great atmosphere. They were really into it. They loved it. Um I could see a, I could see something happening there. I mean, Jeff works in Canada all the time. He'll t- I don't know, you know, Canada. I guess to me, Canada always feels like it's sort of, you know, it's the safer one for America because it's right next door. Well, I, I I have a Canadian family, and they like I've been out to BC Lions games, and I've been out in Vancouver, and the Seattle Seahawks are a much bigger team in Vancouver than the BC Lions are, and yeah. maybe will ever be again from mm. this point forward. So NFL, they, they already buy into it in a very yeah. big way. So they, yeah. they see it. It's just the Bills games didn't, didn't work very didn't. well. Yeah, so. And I, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of reasons why they didn't work very well. Because if you think about it, and I think, I don't know if the phenomenon is quite as strong in Vancouver, but I know for a fact that I think it's over a quarter of the Bills season ticket holders are Southern Ontario fans. So the logical thought process was put Bills games in Toronto and grow it that way. 
but the reality of it was, and I think this is one of the things they would have an issue with when if if Vancouver's as a site for a game, you got to get across the border, right? Now you have to have a passport to go to the game, right? Even though you're you know you're U.S. It's forty five minute or an hour to Toronto, right? Forty five miles or whatever it is. So you got to have a passport to go, and that means your kids got to have a passport to go. In both of those stadiums, there's absolutely no tailgate area, right? So it's a antiseptic environment, and so if you're a if you're a football fan, you don't get the game day thing that you get here. I think one of the pushbacks I've heard about Twickenham is that the game day environment around the stadium, mm. without as much tailgate area mm. and and food you know, food, 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 food opportunity, drink. all of that stuff has to factor into the game being successful. Do you know what's really funny about Twickenham is that everyone I've spoken to who has gone out to games in the U.S., has said it felt more like a game in America than the atmosphere does at Wembley. Huh. Like, actually, the, the fact that, yes, there was less stuff, but there were the, you know, in the same way they have with the rugby, where there's the food stalls on the walk down right, there, right. and there's the, yeah. the kind of, it's the area around it, not just combined. Com- yeah. You know, you're not going just to the stadium. Almost that traveling there felt like yeah. part of the experience. And, okay, I understand because it's an older stadium. The seats aren't as comfortable and as big. Right. And Wembley, we were a bit spoiled with Wembley, let's be yes. honest. Because it's, yeah. you know, top two, three stadiums in the they world. It could be at Lambeau probably. Field. They haven't even got backs on their seats. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, so, it's, uh, at least you've got a back to your seat. But, I, you know, again, I think there's, there's, no, there's no doubt the NFL wants to be back there and because they have more opportunities, the more stadiums they have. Yeah more games they can bring over so they they will have uh, I'm sure they will have gone to Twickenham with a, a laundry list of this is what needs to be improved <laughs> and this is the standard that we're used to because mm. we are the NFL and uh, yeah I think going back to your original question I think I think at the moment I think the focus will be on pushing a potential franchise yep. over the line here and then then once that's in place then you you have that confidence to go out and play more games around the world but I think I think Germany could definitely see more games. Who'd have said they have four here ever? Yeah. Oh, no. Right. Crazy. So for us to think that this can't be repeated somewhere else in the world mm-hmm. is, you know, let's not make that same mistake that everybody made mm-hmm. when they put a game here. Mm-hmm. So Neil Reynolds, Jeff Reinbold, and Liam Blackburn, a bit more on the games here in the UK. We did an extended, it was a 90-minute long chat that we had with the guys, and we'll bring that out as a full podcast probably in the off-season, but if you want more, we are doing a very special NFL A Decade in the UK edition of Gridiron Magazine. Go and subscribe at gridiron-magazine.com. But in more reference to the announcements this week and, and the arrangements of dates, times, and everything else, I caught up with Alistair Kirkwood, the managing director of NFL UK, earlier on today. And when I spoke with him, we started off by discussing the rather hectic 24 hours he's had around these announcements. Uh, yeah, but it's been uh, fairly hectic, but probably not as hectic as trying to actually get the games arranged. There's never been a year where it's been a straightforward process anyway. Um, there's lots of in, ins and outs. Um, and even your your uh, your crystal ball gazing will look to be wider the mark uh, a few times in the last couple of weeks <laughs> um, and that's just the nature of the beast because uh, getting um, getting games agreed is not as um, it's not as two dimensional as, as it's probably 
it would appear on the outside. There are a whole bunch of there are a whole bunch of stakeholders. So, uh, for example, people won't necessarily be aware that um, U.S. networks are a key consideration in, in how we go about trying to decide things. So, uh, you need to invariably try and get a split between Fox and CBS games. Um, you need to be working through how that impacts potentially on the schedule given that uh, our games uh, alongside Super Bowl have historically been the only things that get confirmed before April um, and so therefore the schedule kind of fits, ar fits around us and, and teams whether they want l late bye weeks early bye weeks those types of considerations um, head coaches um, because they're usually one of the last ones in the decision-making chain um, to be asked as to kind of how they feel about stuff. So there's loads of things that go go into it, um, and there's usually some curveballs that, that go on. So so the actual re release of information, in some ways, is a release to me because. Um, that actually then means we can then start working on it uh, properly. Uh, Whereas in the build-up to it, you never quite know until you actually can release it whether whether it's going to be the way it is. Uh, it's it's interesting that you mentioned the decision-making process and, and the teams and and everything there because uh, I don't know if you've seen very interesting article from ESPN about um, Green Bay not coming to London um, and the fact no. that Mark Murphy has spoken about that he spoke with Shard Khan last year and said to him we'd like to play you in London. And Shard Khan said, well, no, that's our biggest revenue game of the year. Uh, we're not necessarily going to give up that game because whilst, whilst they're committed to London, they've got to consider their fan bases and, and everything else. And, and I know that uh, there were a lot of fans when the Browns, there were rumours being leaked they were going to play who were hopeful Green Bay would be a team out here. But it, it just really showed to me how complicated that decision-making process is. Yeah, I mean, there's probably over the decade there's been four occasions that come to mind where we think we could have got the Packers and we didn't. Um, as an example, I mean, there's loads of other examples uh, as well behind the scenes. Um, I think, I think the challenge ultimately when you've done as many games as we've done is um, making sure that we as a as a nation of fans if you like the, um, don't get kind of too complacent on on how how challenging it is to ask teams to give up home games mm. because, you know the more games that you play the more from the outside looking in it would appear to be easy and and, and it's kind of intuitive that you assume that if you've played that many games that everybody is um, fully on board and it's and the process must be easier yeah actually ironically the more games you play in a year the more complex it becomes so when we were playing one game a year whilst it, whilst the identity of the games could keep changing or other things could have actually happened it's still one game mm. um, and you and you announce the game and people make a decision as to whether they like it or not um, when you play multiple games um, by its very nature 
with all the stakeholders involved and the variety of lens that people need to look at, including the one that you just just um, gave as an example, where um, home teams need to balance balance the um, advantages of, of coming over with with any kind of perceived disadvantages, and they need to kind of protect their own interests as well. And that's absolutely fair because they're the ones that are actually creating the sacrifice. The danger, I think, from a perception perspective is that people then assume that um, A, it's a straightforward process, and that B, um, perception of what might be attractive games or, let's say, big-name franchises coming over should actually be easier, whereas actually the more you play arguably in some some years the more difficult it is i think the second piece is that you're kind of beholden to the schedule so you you'll know because you're you're close enough to it but um a lot of a lot of um people that are less close to it won't necessarily realize that the schedules are, are, are kind of dictated three or four years in advance mm. um and so you know seven out of the eight eight teams that that um, teams are, are slated to to play. Yeah. Um, three of which are divisional rivalries. Then you then have four others, and then the final one is based uh, is decided after the se- after the season ends based on where you where you are in in, in the standing. So of course, you and then we have had that you, game last year where the uh, where we actually went on that basis. It was the Rams on this year, wasn't it? Where uh, yeah. we knew it was going to be which division, as it were. Yes, yeah, and and to be honest, that was a call that I made that the Rams agreed to because NFC East, you, there's they're they're all kind of attractive teams, right? Yeah, guaranteed um, a big so, name, as it were. Yeah, so so we got lucky in, in in regards to that. But you, if you've got a team that's willing to put its hand up and give, give up a home game, you're playing with the cards that you're dealt with. It's not even that the sometimes the the team is is sitting there going um uh we need you know we we don't want to offer you up these games it's actually maybe the, those are just the games that they've got uh, for the, for that season so you use the example cleveland uh they had green bay uh, and they had minnesota so you know those two but then if you look at the, the others um from memory's sake uh, I think they had Jacksonville, so you'd have to make a decision. Do you want them as a home and an away team? Uh, you had Tennessee, and you had AFC East, which four or five weeks ago when we were um, in real deep talks, that could just as easily have been Miami, which mm. would then have been another home and away team. So there's a lot of complexity and forecasting where you're trying to have certain principles in place. You'd like to have new teams that haven't come over, uh, and you'd like to ideally avoid having teams that are playing more than once in a season. Um, um, I'm, I'm intrigued as well with that, Alistair, the, and this is kind of final one from me, and we can get into the, the historical stuff with Liam, but um, obviously the, the big reaction from the announcement yesterday has been the fact that Great, we've got four games, eight teams, three new teams. There's all those fantastic headlines, but not knowing the exact dates of the games and not knowing the kickoff times at this point. Um, uh, kind of hearing from you about the complexity, it becomes clearer as to why that would be. But do we have any kind of timetable for when we will know the set dates and kickoff times? And was what went into the decision to 
announce the games before you did know that information to kind of get the right balance between making sure people had enough time to know but didn't have every every scrap of information they could, as it were? Yeah, well, it kind of goes back, Will, to what I said at the start, which is when you're playing one game a year, um, it's, it's, not that, it's not that significant in, in the grand scheme of things, so you can probably get away with we're going to play this in week seven and then the schedulers work around you. Mm. Once you go to four games, um, that's eight teams where their schedules um, and their flexibility kind of are fixed around around London because unless you're Indianapolis this year choosing not to, to, to uh, have a bye week, not only do you fix the, the, first, the first one, you also then fix the second week Arguably, you in some cases you also fix the week before because teams may put in a request to have a home game, or if they're a West Coast team, they might want to be on the East Coast prior to coming to London. So there'll be requests going in. So if you're if you're the scheduler, who's under a whole lot of other pressures from from everywhere else, including the 32 teams, as to what a fair schedule looks like, you might look at the London. Um, um, date and go you're already fixing three weeks out, out of a 17 week schedule and you're actually doing that for eight teams so you're making my job substantially more difficult um, whilst you know recognizing that we'll want it for other reasons so I, I recognize and appreciate that it's not a brilliant com strategy um, it's not ideal uh, from a fan facing perspective you want to get all the information out as much as you can Worst case scenario is that we don't know till the schedule comes out in April. Um, better case scenario is that we continue to have ongoing conversations internally and try and uh, get to kind of agreement as to what we can get comfortable with. And I have no, I genuinely no sense as to whether that's something that can happen in the next week or two or take, takes a lot longer, or we have to wait till till April, um, and that's just purely because of um, uh, the complexity, as well as um, how it actually impacts other things. So, so it's, it's an internal process. Now, the reason why I prefer to go out and and announce whatever we got. Um, is a recognition that, uh, f- first of all, it's always better to to be out there in season rather than out of season. You guys will know from, from what you work on that um, whilst we have incredibly passionate fans, as a sport, we go relatively dark in off-season. Yeah, of um, with, the, with, with the exception of the draft. And so, therefore, you lose an awful lot of impetus um, if the later that you leave it so... So that so that's um, uh, the first thing. We're going out solely with season tickets at this stage, and so our our viewpoint is: if you know that it's weeks three, four, seven, and eight, and you're a season ticket holder that wants to renew, or you're looking to upgrade and become a season ticket holder, then at least knowing the weekends um, should should give you. Uh, a fairly good idea as to whether that's something you want to proceed in, uh, with doing. If you're a single ticket buyer, you're obviously not going to find yourself in a situation where um, 
uh, not knowing which weekend it is um, that that you you can then commit, which is why we're not going on sale with single tickets till we actually are able to announce everything. That all of that being said is, if you think about it from a U.S. point of view, um, if you are a Philadelphia Eagles fan, uh, you may know the team matchups, but you don't know when the games are through the season um, until April. Um, so if you look at it from U.S. eyes. Um, what I called our worst case scenario is actually standardized with what everybody else does in the States. Now we're slightly different, but, but it, I'm more kind of just giving you a sense of, as to the type of conversations that we'll have internally. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. Thank you, Alistair. Really appreciate that. Um, I'll now allow Liam to, to crack on with the rest of the stuff. Thank you for answering my kind of newsier questions for me. <laughs> um, and, did I pass the smell test, Will? Uh, uh, of course, absolutely. Alistair, always do. Yeah. Always do. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. Uh, no, no. Well, the, the fact is, is that I, you know, for, just to, from my opinion, I, you know, I spend these two days kind of not firefighting on Twitter, but trying to say to people, look, there is a very justifiable reason for all of these things. Um, and you like you should understand why that is and i just think people are they've they've had it so good for so many years that uh you know they're they're expecting to this point but to discuss that i'll, I'll let liam crack on now and uh, well, well before yeah just before we go into to Liam, the only other thing that i say is that um every single year we've ever done an announcement with the exception of the very first game we've always disappointed more people than we've excited <laughs> Because statistically, if you're you got more fans of other teams than however many teams are involved, so the starting point will be why is it not my team? So you kind of go in first of all knowing that whilst it's exciting, there'll there'll also be some disappointment. The second piece is you'll also um, realise that there's probably then two or three cooling cooling off days periods where people then kind of will hopefully sit back and and look at things. What I would say about these matchups is that we don't have a, what, what might be classically called a powerhouse mm. um, franchise. Um, and there's always going to be years where we'll have that. And there'll also be other years where we punch above our weight. I'd argue that last year with giants and Washington uh, um, amongst others, uh, we, we did disproportionately well. Um, in terms of at least that, what I'd like to think is that over over the, ne- the coming weeks, people will actually look at it and 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 look at kind of in particular the the players, both the Hall of Famers as well as the the um, rising stars that are amongst the teams, because we have a sport that because of parity means that even if you're on less attractive teams, you have incredibly attractive players, whether that's Larry Fitzgerald, um, David Johnson, Joe Flacco, Terrell Suggs, um, even Jared Goff, right? Um, so, <laughs> and, and, and with the Browns this year's number one overall pick. So, uh, look, I, th- I think that's all spot or on. If they, or, or if they do Moneyball again, it might be with 16 other picks. Who knows? <laughs> So that was Alistair Kirkwood, the Managing Director of NFL UK, and you also heard from Neil Reynolds and Jeff Reinbold from Sky Sports, uh, chatting with myself and Liam Blackburn. Um, 
uh, I, the, the conversation is going to rage on and as soon as we know more about when there's going to be dates or times announced we'll let you know at Gridiron on Twitter me at Will Gav him at Ollie Hunter you know we will get that information disseminated as quickly as possible uh, well, there's loads to talk about elsewhere in the NFL this week uh, although one, one thing I will direct you to gridiron-magazine.com there's an article on there that uh, Matt Sherry has written making a case for all the team for each London bound team and it's pretty compelling reading so uh, I'd go on there have a read and see why you should get excited about the London games in 2017 uh, Ollie we've kind of gone straight in and talked about football how are you mate? I'm alright man it was nice seeing you last night uh, you're a little, little, little tipsy, but think, apparently you weren't the worst of oh my God. everyone at the Talksport Two Christmas Bash. You were. I really wanted you to tell me what happened to a certain uh, fellow who who uh, had to be ejected from the. Yeah, pub. I, I don't want to. I, I like it's so, sometimes I, I talk, we talk about these things, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's just talk about it. But uh, I, I feel genuinely bad for the guy today so um oh wow tell me off air then yeah it might not be one but but the, the, the long and short version of the story is that he got far too drunk <sighs> stuff started to come out which really shouldn't have come out in a public setting oh, God. Uh, he then he then uh got a, a bit aggressive about that stuff not physically but kind of shouty and angry about it then he went off to the toilet apparently got into a bit of a to do with somebody in the toilet who he, who he didn't know, who wasn't part of our group or anything. I went to the toilet and found him, had a word with him, came back out. The manager of the pub was waiting outside the toilet to basically said, look, you need to go home, mate. Uh, I asked the manager politely if, rather than embarrass him in front of everyone, I could just see him out and take him outside and put him in a taxi, which is what I did. Oh, you're a hero. I no, I don't want to claim. I don't want to claim I'm a hero. But how much of a hero are you if you've told the story to everybody else afterwards? <laughs> and I told them all how much the taxi cost as well. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I was drunk. I'm sorry, but um, drink responsibly, kids. Triple B. My voice. I, I didn't really realise because I hadn't. I realised when you came here, I hadn't spoken yet today. Because, you know, I've just been in my house on my own. Rubbish. I know you talk uh, to your cats. <laughs> I genuinely hadn't talked to my cats <laughs> or anything. I just, I lay here, I watched wrestling on Sky, and uh, I did nothing else, basically. Oh, your, um, your life. But your I, uh, life. I've got to go into work tonight. I've got to do the West Ham game. It's going to be... A, I, oh, wait, where's the, where's the sad music? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you're in charge of the, the decks. <laughs> uh, yeah. Self-inflicted got to do the West Ham game tonight might lose my voice during it but it's only West Ham Burnley it's not like it's a massive game on the relegation battle or anything but yeah so, uh, so he made a bit of a fool of himself the key part of this story that's worth mentioning mm. is it was 8pm at this point <laughs> okay wow 8pm wow yeah did you, you, you uh, well, you came and just met and came for a couple of pints after doing the NFL show with Nat and the guys, didn't you? So uh, what was it like coming into that scene where you'd had people who had been there since well, I think four anyone... o'clock drinking quite heavily? And when when our manager got in a round of Jaeger bombs on the uh, TalkSport 2 credit card at like 4.30 in the afternoon. A round of Jaeger bombs? You knew. <laughs> just got a text message from the aforementioned. Oh, wow. Thanks so much for last night, mate. You're a legend. What are your bank details and how much was the Uber? 
fifty-five pounds. <laughs> here's the question: uh, Shall I go true triple B hero and be like, no, no, don't worry, mate, it's on me? Or uh, <laughs> I tell you what you could do: you could tell him to be paid in burritos. Ah, uh, yeah, I, and here's the other thing: I bought that guy his first ever burrito yesterday. There we go. So you just say, listen, bud, get me three or four or five burritos and we'll call it quits yeah fine I don't. think that's fine <laughs> don't 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 receive money but receive burritos Rece- always receive burritos yeah be uh, paid in burritos any yeah. any fun stories from uh, the world of Ollie Hunter from the last few days no no well from when we did a podcast 20 hours ago no <laughs> uh, nothing really should we, should we do a daily podcast from now on just uh, every day get together really. every day you and I just chat <laughs> two hours shoot the breeze shoot the drew shoot the drew good thanks good uh, um, in the sake of honesty I'm peeling and eating an orange and you're probably going to have to hear that on microphone so I apologise for that but I haven't eaten it today uh, Los Angeles Rams have fired head coach Jeff why haven't Fisher. you offered me an orange you're welcome to an orange there's a fruit bowl in the middle of the room help yourself there's apples in there there might be a pear as well what's your favourite fruit uh, cherry Ooh. I love cherry. I love it. The I love a cherry. I love artificial cherry. I love cherry ice cream. I love cherry yogurt. I hate it. The thing is, I love all those forms of cherry. Big cherry yogurt fan. In fact, hate a Morello cherry. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, I, I love Morello cherry. You can it. also get Morello cherry uh, cordial. You know where you'd next next to where you'd get like a, an elderflower cordial. You get a Morello. Ch- this is so middle class. I love cherry. What's your favourite fruit? Uh, I don't know. A banana, probably. Oh, bit right. boring. Bit tappiny. Right, but... carry on. Jeff Fisher. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, we mentioned this on the show the other day. The Rams uh, stunned the football world. I think it might be a stretch on Monday afternoon, firing long-term head coach Jeff Fisher just a few months after handing him a two-year contract extension. It was just last week that Fisher confirmed he'd signed the deal before the start of the 2016 season. Special teams coordinator John Fassel, the sons of former Giants head coach Jim Fassel, has been named as the team's interim head coach. Uh, Jeff Fisher has issued a statement thanking Stan Kroenke for the four and a half years, the entire football staff, all of the players, etc., etc. Um... Uh, you know, all of that's happened. Great. Uh, there's kind of two things to discuss here, which is where they go next, but also just how Ramsey this whole thing is. It's so Ramsey. Jeff Fisher was a specialist in failure. And you fired him on a Monday when you're playing a divisional rival on the Thursday night. Like, how is an interim coach going to be able to come in and make your team do anything for that I'll game? I'll tell you what, though. It must the Rams organization, the back, the backroom staff, they must have felt that that game against the Falcons was the last possible straw because they were forty-two nothing down. The the half the stadium had gone. Probably half the stadium didn't turn up in the first place anyway. They they there's nowhere else you can go with Jeff Fisher. You go to Seattle, it could be even worse. Seattle are coming back off a of a chastening defeat out in Green Bay. So they're going to be wanting to, to make a statement. I feel, if anything, they've done Jeff Fisher a favour by getting rid of him now so that he doesn't have to uh, suffer the the inevitable um, embarrassment of going up to Seattle and getting his team getting absolute smashed. 
I apologise for that noise. That was Skype firing up, ready to record our interview with Alistair Kirkwood. Pull back the curtain we're doing after the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, yeah, and, and the problem is, is that the Rams aren't a good football team right now, but they've got some good talent there. And uh, their offence, Todd Gurley coming out and saying they're running a middle school offence. And basically, I mean, we spoke to Todd Gurley at the Super Bowl and he was a cheery, lovely chappy who, okay, it was the day he was going to be winning his Rookie of the Year award and probably already knew at that point he was going to be the winner and yada, yada, yada. But he uh, had a real vim, vigour and verve about him. You see him in interviews in the last couple of months and, and Richard Graves from Sky Sports is obviously a bit of a friend of the show. Uh, he's going to be annoyed that I said bit of a friend, but there we go. Um, he interviewed him in... Why is Liam calling me when I've just told him we're recording the podcast? <laughs> So that phone call from Liam uh, was telling me that whilst I was drunk last night, he texted me to tell me that the Alistair Kirkwood interview was half an hour earlier than we'd originally scheduled it for, and I'd forgotten that. (laughs) So as you heard, as you've already heard, we got Kirkwood on the phone, but uh, yeah, that meant we had to cut the podcast off early. And just to give you an idea of timeline, Ollie was sat in my front room nine hours ago nine and a half hours ago from now nine and a half hours ago uh and uh, we're now back at Talksport 2 in the evening i'm about to do the west ham game ollie's about to go home and we figured let's finish off that podcast we started doing this morning <laughs> let's do it yeah why not <laughs> the, the best laid plans eh we're in the middle of talking about the jeff fisher leaving the rams and todd Gurley not being happy and him, uh, sky sports doing a very difficult interview with him earlier this year and i think the, the big problem, the reason I mention that is because the offence is so vanilla and so poorly run. And Jeff Fisher is a great defensive coach and has a great defensive unit there that I think when they're looking for their new head coach, we've heard uh, Jim Harbour um, mentioned a lot. I think it would take you know, $15 million a year to get him out of the Michigan job quite easily. But uh, yeah, we've heard his name bandied about a huge amount. Former quarterback, great offensive mind, but I, I can't see him going. And and I just think that's the way they need to look at. I think well, they need a big, they need a big splashy um, head coach to come in to ignite that LA. I know they shouldn't. They definitely shouldn't hire someone just based on a name. But they need to get someone who's going to help ignite the way that the Rams play and that that. Uh, the, you know the fans and the supporters in 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 LA because people aren't turning up to watch the Rams. It, it's it, almost. It's, I find it madness that they think two teams would work in LA. Well, yeah, quite. But the the fact is, like the the people I think would work really well and the names I've got in mind. The, the name that jumps immediately to the top of my list is. Um, uh, and, and it's so clear because I remember it. Um, Carl Shanahan, the Washington uh, offensive coordinator, mm. who's done such a brilliant job of de- designing that offense, getting the best out of Cousins, and, and turning that team around offensively in the last two years. So you're thinking because the pieces are already there on defense, that um, the offense is the, the thing that really needs to be looked at. It should be someone with an offensive kind of leaning. 
Yeah, but the problem is I don't think it's going to get that sort of name. I, I don't think they're going to want that sort of name. They're not going to want someone, okay, he's got the Shanahan name, so there's something to that, but they're going to want someone who's been a Super Bowl winning head coach or at least a contender at previous stages, and, and they've, that's not what they've got at the moment. And there's so. not many of them. There's not many of these guys that are around that are Super Bowl winners. You mentioned Tom Coughlin. Perhaps that could be something, or is he... Is he just too old now? I, well, yeah, that would be my thinking on it. That would be very much an interim, um, very much an interim appointment if it was one that came in. <laughs> just nothing. None of the names currently out there appeal to me particularly, and I, I'm kind of. I think I understand why they've done it because apparently it became quite toxic. The atmosphere and. Once you've made the decision, you should probably get them out of there as soon as possible. But uh, yeah, it's it's a fire dumpster fire. That's the phrase I'm looking for. God, I'm really really good at radio tonight, aren't I? Uh, yeah, it's an absolute dumpster fire in uh, in LA, and I don't think that's going to change overnight. So is that because you're doing prep? on something else right now look mate I have to go on air in 30 minutes and all I'm doing I'm not doing my prep I'm just writing my names on my team sheet because why are you writing your name <laughs> very good uh, the way I do it look I'll show you I've got my little prep sheet there's a little pitch at the top of it and I put my teams in in the formations there and then I have my separate sheet with all my little stats on there details and then I have those in front of me and I do it twice so once for each half so I have them on the other side so that I don't get confused okay uh, so I've just got to do that it's not taking away from what I'm doing I'm just writing names down uh, you know big big news for West Ham tonight Andy Carroll back up front the heading prowess of him and Mikel Sorry, Antonio I'm, I'm just not interested <laughs> in any way uh, right let's move on from the Rams a uh, couple of other bits of news going on Adrian Peterson he plans to pay in week 16 against the Packers he's back in training oh, tomorrow <laughs> and is off IR as of the end of this week if he's ready to go and so he's expected to be back for week 16 against the Packers if they've still got a chance of hitting the playoffs and he comes back and he's in any decent form at all oh that's a good tasty bit of addition for them Vikings I don't know why I went into a weird little thing Listen, there the, um, the Vikings offensive line is uh, well the offensive line is not great but also their running back or their running game is horrendous I think it was twice uh, against the Jaguars this weekend where they couldn't punch the ball in within three yards, which is abysmal. Asiata is much better used as a passing down back when you've got someone decent like Adrian Peterson who does the north to south, the three down, the other three down stuff. Jarrett McKinnon, I mean, is not that guy. He's not it's the guy that people well thought he was going to be. Physically, he's the more impressive of the backs and actually the guy they liked more going into this season. So it's it's really disappointing that he's not turned into that, particularly as I got him in pretty much every bloody fantasy league or dynasty league I'm in. But there we go. I've got no him on one of my IRs. Oh, well, Jeremy McKinnon. Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but there we go. So that's a, a nice little interesting piece of news. Uh, Jerry Jones apparently is opening the door for a Tony Romo QB switch. Now, we've not talked about the games from the weekend, and um, I, I don't know how much time we want to spend on them now, because by the time this is coming out, it's Thursday morning. People are yeah. expecting a Thursday night football preview. They're not expecting a, a review of the weekend. But let's just talk about a couple of more stunning results, and that... 10 set that bizarre 17 point uh, just ridiculously tight game between the Giants and the Cowboys won by the massive Odell Beckham touchdown he's the best yards after the catch receiver the NFL has seen in recent years you know there's sh- shades of Jerry Rice in that catch and run on uh, on Sunday night um 
But the the kudos for that performance, the the reason it was so impressive from uh, all sides up was the Giants' defense. I thought with JPP going out, I thought they were really going to struggle against the run. They did give up over 100 yards, but Dak Prescott, through two interceptions, had his most average game of his entire time. Uh, and just all in all, they were a really impressive unit. And I hold my hands up. I was slating the Giants and saying that I thought they were going to fall back to 8-8. Eight and eight. If the defence can play like that for the last few weeks, they could easily be a playoff team. I think better teams will beat them, but they could easily be a playoff team. Well, with Janoris Jenkins, who has been lights out so far this season, uh, Olivier Vernon, who's been brilliant, um, even when JPP's gone out, that Giants defence is really good. I called that they would win that game. And... I think they're going to pose more teams a lot of problems and a lot of questions, and especially when they play the Lions. I'm hoping for a win there in in a couple of weeks' time. So my, I think my point is is that if I'm the if I'm the Cowboys, I'm not panicking and thinking of making any switches or anything like that right now. And I don't think anyone is at that stage. But I would just be careful and aware of people. Um, just just be kind of wary of the possibility of them trying to call for that change. And if he continues to perform that poorly over the next couple of weeks, then certainly I would see the calls increasing towards week 17, the first week of the playoffs after the bye, because they're pretty much guaranteed the bye at this point, that maybe there would be more calls for Dak Prescott. I think when you look at it, there is a, a, a precedence for an old hand, an old stager to come back in and take a team to a Super Bowl and win it and that happened last year Peyton Manning went out injured Brock Osweiler came back in (laughs) did okay but when he started to flounder and people realised that he's Brock Osweiler Peyton Manning came back in now teams have worked have have been looking at Dak for 11-12 weeks now and or 13-14 weeks and they will have worked out how to play him the Giants did I think if he has another game, another bad game, and it's against the Buccaneers, so the Bucks have got a very, very good defense at the moment. If a, another bad game happens, and if they lose, they may even win, but Dak has a bad game. I wouldn't be surprised to see Tony Romo come back in. Tony Romo's fresh. It would make for, if they went on and won the Super Bowl, it would make for a great uh, America's game, wouldn't it? A great America's game. And then he can ride off into the sunset at the top of his game. Exactly. All exactly. that nonsense. Uh, just having a look. The other games, because we haven't done a, a review of the weekend, we probably shouldn't bother at this point, because I think everyone's heard what everyone had to say. But just a couple of other games that caught the eye. Monday Night Football. Uh, final scoreline 30-23 to the New England Patriots over the Baltimore Ravens. But it was the most bizarre game because the Patriots dominated the Ravens. And that brilliant Ravens defence that we've been raving about all season... They used a lot of three wide sets because they didn't have, uh, obviously, Rob Gronkowski, but Bennett had a really big game. Hogan had a huge game. Their backfield looks really impressive. I think it's up there as the best backfields they've had, in certainly in the recent years of the Patriots franchise. And, and I, do th- I think that <laughs> right now it's terrifying that when, they, when before, if Gronkowski would be out of the lineup, we'd all see a really big drop-off in the offense and we'd be talking about the drop-off in the stats there's just not going to be a drop off this time by the looks of it and uh, well yeah. there wasn't in, at the beginning of the season when Gronkowski was not in the lineup but Martellus Bennett is filling that gap really well you've got the two running backs who 
kind of work as receivers, or one of them at least works as receivers, Lewis and um, uh, James White. Who had a gr- James White. I've been expecting Dion Lewis to come in and take over that role, and James White was fantastic exactly. against the, uh, against the uh, e- uh, Eagles, against the Ravens on, uh, on Monday. They've got a very good running back in uh, LeGarrette Blunt. Um, those two wideouts in Hogan and Mitchell, you've got Incredible in there as well. <sighs> Saddens me, but the Patriots probably have the best and most balanced offense in the league right now. Uh, and, and then, I mean, finally, the, the other game I really wanted to talk about. There's loads of stuff we could. There's we could one revisit. game. If you don't mention it, I will. I will probably quit. But looking forward to Thursday night football. <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. Looking forward to Thursday night football. Where the Los Angeles Rams take on the Seattle yes, Seahawks. Yeah. Okay, good, good, good. Uh, you know, great defense, change of head coach, maybe that'll give them a boost. And we've just watched the Seahawks get absolutely tonked in the snow. Um, Which, where it didn't snow. Have you finally got round to listening to the, um, to the Peter King podcast I've been recommending to you all season? No. Because this week's guest is Mike McCarthy <gasps> the evening after no literally, way. literally in his office after they've just hammered the Seahawks at home and it's a great interview right I will download that and listen to it on my way home and what was fascinating about it was him talk like Peter King just said look I, I thought watching the games that there was an issue with uh, Aaron Rodgers in terms of McCarthy I thought that he was throwing off the front foot. He was throwing off the front foot. He uh, off the back foot. Sorry, he wasn't uh, getting in the right stances. He wasn't. You know, it was like he was panicking on plays or trying to break plays down. And he, he basically said that, uh, you, you know, what did you do to fix that issue? And it was interesting to hear from. Obviously, McCarthy stuck up for his guy. We've heard that time and time yeah. again. And you'd but expect nothing else. McCarthy stuck up for his guy, obviously. But he took the blame on his shoulders and he said, actually, and it's something I've not really paid as much attention to with the Packers, because you think of them as a really good no-huddle offense. But he said, like end of last year, going into this year, when we've had those problems, we changed and we started doing much more no-huddle stuff. And it meant you couldn't have the change of formations. I mean, you couldn't have the change of personnel. It couldn't, and he was saying that it was almost the change of the running back and needing to bring Tyson Montgomery into the game in different ways that forced them to do much more straight, old-fashioned offense, getting in a huddle, calling plays. Mm. And he thinks that's made a huge difference to how the offense is running because even though Rogers still makes changes at the line and still makes audibles, it just gives them that extra little bit of time. The it's a little less frantic, isn't it? And I don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm a big exponent of, of no huddle and I love it when it works well. I think it's the mo- one of the most exciting things to watch in football. If you can get a, uh, if you can get a defense huffing and puffing, it's fantastic. But do you know what he's got a very good point and it's been working so um, yeah I I, am incredibly impressed by the Packers at the weekend they now have a run of games where they play all of the NFC North in the next three weeks to see off the uh, to try and see off the division try and close that gap on the Lions and they really could run the table. They actually could. It, well, I, I saw it as a joke three weeks ago when Aaron Rodgers said that. I'm starting to feel like it's no joke. Well, uh, it's, it's the Bears next. Then it's the uh, the Vikings at home. That Vikings at home game is a win or bust for both teams. Mm-hmm. And then it's the win or bust against the Lions. Because the Lions, you'd expect to lose at least one of their next two, which is Giants and Cowboys. So it's suddenly from a shocking division and not knowing what's going to happen 
about four or five weeks ago, turning into one of the most exciting finishes in football. I'm, I'm loving it. I'm nervous to hell, but I'm loving it. And I think Green Bay are starting to feel like that 2014 side that got to the NF- uh, NFC Championship game. Uh, on the Seahawks side of it, we just talked about an yeah. offensive player going out and, and making no real difference for the Packers. But, you know, they lose their superstar safety. And we talked about if there's a defense that can cover that up, I would have thought it was the Seahawks. But they gave up the highest passer rating that the Seahawks have given up all season. Um, and the Green Bay defense were very impressive. Five picks off uh, Russell Wilson was a career high. A couple of those were really lucky. I mean, one coming off the back of a, um, a defensive back's shoulder, another, a couple of tipped ones. So it's not totally all on Wilson. But, but he didn't me, have a good game. But the point is, for me, it, some there were tipped passes, there were not caught balls, there were drops, and everyone wants to give Doug Baldwin a lot of love and make out like he's a top ten wide receiver because he goes through these patches where he scores eight touchdowns in six or seven games, but. I I really think that you're seeing that when Wilson's struggling, it's not like when you've got Julio Jones there, Antonio Brown there, someone who is in that really top echelon who covers your mistakes for you. He makes mistakes himself and he doesn't cover. And Russell Wilson basically makes them look really good. And I still don't put Doug Baldwin right up in that very top tier. And I think they struggled. Jimmy Graham, after being brilliant at the start of the year, really has dipped off quite a bit in recent weeks. Um, So both sides of the ball, they really weren't impressive against the Packers. And okay, we've said this season that they tend to have these games occasionally, but they've now had these games against Tampa Bay against Green Bay I mean it's teams with Bay in their name uh, and, and there was at least one or two other this season where they've really dropped a bollock and it makes I just fear I, I feel like Packers-Cowboys could be the the, ga- the the playoff game that decides the NFC title holder even if it's not the NFC Championship game based on seeding because those are the two teams in the NFC right now that I go whoa they're impressive well the Packers are starting to peak at the right time there's a case for the Cowboys peaking a little too early with the Seahawks every time you think that they're going to peak like you say they 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 drop a bollock they they drop off I texted Greg Rosenthal or I tweeted I think saying that the Seahawks if you look see streaky up in the dictionary the, there mm. you've got the Seahawks and he came back to me and said, look, there's enough talent on that roster that I, that I don't agree with that statement. I, I, I think you've got to stand by it because every time that you expect the Seahawks to go get over that hump and, and to push on, something brings up, crashes them back down to earth. You mentioned the Tampa Bay. There was uh, the draw or the tie, sorry, in Arizona. Uh, it's happened time and time again that, that they just haven't managed to put a string of results more than three or four more than three results together and it's happened again I worry for the Seahawks but at the same time they're at home on a Thursday night in the clink against a bad team who have just fired their head coach of course on Thursday night football I'm picking the Seattle Seahawks yeah as am I but (laughs) but actually the Seahawks haven't beaten the Rams for three times in a row the Rams always play hard when it comes to uh, to divisional games so this isn't as cut and dry as everyone will make out. Yeah, and they, they have, it's a bit of a revenge game for Seattle as well after that hammering uh, in uh, in LA earlier in the year. Lolly, I'm glad we finally got this done. It's been a joy. 
<laughs> Check out Touchdown Trips online, touchdowntrips.com. Go to Facebook, Touchdown Trips, or Twitter, Touchdown Trips. We've talked a lot about the games in the US. We've heard from Alistair. We've heard again from Neil and Jeff in this series. We, we know or are expecting that Mexico is going to announce a huge matchup this year. And we'll discuss that on the next later in the week show because some people are angry that they're getting such a great game. I think when it's announced, we'll give our views on that. I have some views. They are angry, but they're not angry at the NFL. Um, and uh, just all in all, touchdown trips. Ben is a great guy. Go if you're going to go out to the US. There's no better company to go and do it with because he tailors your trip to make sure to save you money, at getting you in the game. That's the slogan. It always reminds me of EA though. Maybe I'll get the EA. It's in the game. Do you remember from the old get you in the game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, top stuff, Ollie. Yeah. Any final thoughts? I do have a final thought. Oh, so because, because you know I've got to be downstairs to do my work. Yeah, no, no, no. This, 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 I, this is great. This final <laughs> thought. So earlier on in the pod, a long time ago, we were talking about uh, the guy who uh, got a little drunk. I he, saw him. He sent say, me four text messages today, apologising, then thanking me, then telling me how horrible work is, then thanking me again. I saw him today. I laughed at him. Yeah. But I saw that he's pretty much an embarrassed, broken man. Oh, buddy. So I gave him a little cuddle and I said, listen, man, we've all been there. That's it. Don't worry. The guy is young. He's never been to university. He hasn't gone through these. We've all done this stupid stuff when we've been on nights out with work and with uni mates or whatever. It's not the end of the world. I will be doing the same when I next see him. It's funny. I've, I've, I've said, listen, you're a good guy. Don't worry about it. I'm gonna, we're going to do something rather special and rather different here, Ollie. Hmm? Normally, we finish our Later in the Week podcast on this, but it's Wednesday night. It's already dropped into my inbox. So, let's get a bit of Neil Dutton and some <gasps> fantasy darlings. History is replete with examples of when facing overwhelming odds and a grim situation, an unlikely hero emerges and ensures that the powers of good triumph over the forces of evil. It was R2-D2, for instance, who held the Death Star plans. And just think how early on the quest to destroy the One Ring would have ended if not for Hobbit and Gardner Samwise Gamgee. In one of the biggest spots in fantasy football this season, Matt Barkley could be another such hero. Since coming into the Bears lineup, he's completing only 54.6% of his passes, but he does get Alshon Jeffrey back this week after his four-week suspension. Together, these two, and 44 other players, lock horns with the Green Bay Packers. The Pack have allowed 24 passing scores this season, and have seen eight quarterbacks throw for at least 250 yards in a game, and seven throw for multiple scores. If you survived this far without a stun at the quarterback spot, why not trust in Barkley? The reigning MVP of the NFL, Cam Newton, is probably not the main reason your team made the fancy playoffs. His 2016 season has been as disappointing as the 2015 campaign was breathtaking. He has passed for multiple touchdowns in a game just twice since week two, and over his last four games he has just 780 yards passing, completing a paltry slash pathetic 43% of his passes. If you can avoid starting Newton this week, I seriously recommend doing so. The Washington Redskins have allowed just 18 passing scores this season, and despite allowing six 300-yard passes, Newton's regression makes this a much scarier prospect than it should be. It's a sad state of affairs when I trust a Joe Barry-led off-defence over Cam Newton, but just like Cam's wardrobe choices, it's an ugly situation that he's brought on himself. 
Fantasy football production, much like life itself, is all about opportunity. Kenneth Farrow finds himself with a great opportunity to make a name for himself in the dying stages of the 2016 season as the likely replacement for the injured Melvin Gordon. After Gordon went down against the Panthers, Farrow slipped into the male carrier role for the Chargers, logging 16 carries for 55 yards while also snaring 6 of 6 targets. The Chargers take on the Raiders in the will be a bigger draw in LA than the Rams Bowl on Sunday, and the Raiders have been most benevolent towards fantasy running backs this year. They're allowing 4.6 yards per carry to tailbacks, with 10 players rushing for at least 50 yards against them this season. Spencer Ware has done it twice, but more on him later, whilst also allowing 12 rushing scores. This is an ideal chance for me as lad to make his mum proud. You may want to fact check this, as I cannot say for certain that Kenneth Farrow is in any way related to Mia Farrow, but you never know. For stretches of the 2016 season, Spencer Ware has played the role of fantasy darling with a plum, admirably filling the fantasy void left by Jamal Charles, but the sparkle is beginning to come off. He has one rushing score in his last seven games and hasn't topped 77 rushing yards in any of these contests. He's also failed to top three yards per carry in his last three, with his last 51 tote garnering a meagre 149 yards. That's 2.9 yards per carry. The Titans, against whom Ware and the Chiefs go up against this week, have shut down the run this season. They've allowed the fifth fewest rushing yards to running backs, given up just five rushing scores, and allowed only two players to rush for more than 50 yards in a game since week 10. Chasing last week's fantasy points is never a recipe for success, but chasing fantasy points from eight weeks ago is a surefire way to lose your matchup. Thank Ware for getting you to the dance this season, give him a painting with Spitfire and let him go. With Le'Veon Bell a good bet to go off any time he gets the ball, and more chance of Adele releasing a feel-good anthem that gladdens the soul than Antonio Brown not getting at least five catches a game, you would think there may not be enough footballs to go around for the Steelers. While this is true to an extent, they have become adept at exploiting matchups and situations. With the Bengals allowing the third most fantasy points per game to tight ends in 2016, they may see a lot of Ladarius Green. In his last five games, he's only played 12, 8, 14, 35 and 28 snaps, but has seen 4, 2, 3, 11 and 6 targets. When he's on the field, the Steelers make use of him. The Bengals have given up an average of 6 receptions a game to tight ends this season, and with the Steelers' main tight end Jesse James' fantasy appeal going down in flames, just like Jesse James, Green could give you that extra edge when you need it most. After being sat down after just three carries due to fumbling issues against the Seahawks, Mark Ingram has not seen less than seven carries in a game since, and indeed has exactly seven totes in three of his last four games. These 21 carries have seen him rack up a ghastly 79 yards with zero touchdowns. Granted, a 14-carry, 146-yard day against the Rams came in the midst of this span, but this is looking more like the outlier than the norm. The Saints take on the Arizona Cardinals, who, after shutting down London-born Jay Ajayi last week, will look to ensure Ingram is similarly kept quiet. The Cards have allowed just one 100-yard rusher this season, and have not seen a single back go for more than 63 yards since week 6. The Saints, and this one in particular, will not go marching in.